Joel. Hmm. Did you know diarrhea is hereditary? What? Yeah. It runs in your genes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. I'm Christian Spicer. Today on the podcast, we're going to be recapping Season 1, Episode 4 of The Last of Us on HBO, entitled, Please Hold to My Hand. Please Hold to My Hand. On this podcast, we will spoil everything through this episode of the show, but we will not spoil anything from future weeks. That includes anything from the next time on preview. That includes anything from the video games. Um, so if you're just a show watcher, you found the right place. You can find more episodes of the show at Decoding TV, sorry, podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at Decoding TV. Christian, before we get into the events of season one, episode four, a couple of quick uh, announcements, uh, stuff that's relevant to people who are watching the show uh, and who are listening to the podcast. First of all, over on decodingtv.com, which is a paid website where you can sign up to get ad free episodes and exclusive bonus, bonus episodes comparing the video game to the show from me and Christian. Um, we have typically been releasing one bonus episode a week. We are not going to be releasing a bonus episode this week. I just want to let people know. Um, but we will try to get you know bonus episodes up for most weeks uh, from this point forward. The reason there's going to be no bonus episode this week is because, uh, in my opinion, this episode of the show is a transitional episode. Um, introduces a lot of characters. It, we don't know exactly where it's going to take these characters. Uh, and how that will differ from the video game. And so as a result, it's best for us to just kind of save our uh, conversation, our insights a little bit until we know a little bit more about how the show is going to unfold. Um, so DecodingTV.com members, uh, paid members, no bonus episode this week, but there will be one um, for most other weeks. But just wanted to let people know right off the bat so you don't think something's wrong. Um, another thing I wanted to announce is that, like, uh, this is actually over a week now. So, like... After we recorded last week's episode, but before we published, it was announced <laughs> that there is going to be a season two of The Last of Us. Uh, the show is doing incredibly well. It would have been shocking if there wasn't a season two, honestly. Uh, but Christian, you also pointed out that episode three of The Last of Us uh, had 6.4 million viewers, a 12% increase compared to episode two, which itself saw a 37% increase compared to episode one. Basically, a significantly larger number of people are watching every subsequent episode of The Last of Us. This has happened in the past where like shows have discovered, have like an audience has discovered a show over time. Right. Um, I'll throw out a couple of big examples. Game of Thrones, um, Breaking Bad. Those are shows that like took years to find like massive audiences. It's rare that it happens this fast though. It's rare that it's like week to week the audience is increasing by a number of millions, right? Um, so it is really impressive what is happening with the TV show. Christian, any I mean, thoughts on these numbers, this renewal news? Yeah, I, I, I wonder if more people are watching the show than there are alive in the world of the show. <laughs> How bad was the outbreak, you know? Um and I think uh, Craig Mazin also, oh gosh, I forget where I read this, but I think smartly he he kind of got out in front of this season two news and said, in his opinion, right where they are right now thinking about it, yeah. the second game is more content than just a second season, yeah. which I think, one, as a showrunner, 
of course it is, right? Heck yes, it is. Uh, no, we have so many more seasons uh, to make. Let's keep mm-hmm. making seasons. But also I think it is it is nice setting expectations um, for folks who are already starting to imagine what that second season might look like. And then the, the third point I, I, I guess thought I have on this is I wonder how many more of those viewers are people who have played the game versus folks who have not. I wonder if for folks who have played the game, if they're coming on board now in bigger numbers because they hear the positive word of mouth and it's not one of the quote unquote, you know, bad adaptations of a video game. And then I, I also wonder on the other side of that, how many are people who didn't play the games, who heard from their friends who did and already loved the story and are being like, no, 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 trust me even if you haven't played the game, you will love this show. And then those people keep sticking around. I feel like it has positive word of mouth from, from both pillars of folks coming into the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Uh, no spoilers or plot discussion about what happens in the last of us part two video game, but I do think it's safe to say Christian that um, the story of the part two video game was pretty controversial. Is that, is that fair to say? Is that reasonable? Um, that it was very polarizing to uh, people. That's that's yeah. from, from from the conversation I observed, and also from the podcast that you and I recorded about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it really was divisive. Uh, and uh, yeah, go ahead. This is a video game po- on on DLC. We talked not. I don't want people to think that we've for this show we've done correct, a conversation correct, about correct. the second game yeah. already. Um, yeah, I think at launch there was. Um, an energy of divisiveness about the second game. I think post-launch and as some of that initial fervor or um, hardcore fan reaction or whatever you want to call it, I think it has settled down to not be quite as controversial. Um, But yes, uh, at launch, there was a lot of noise um, about what the story is and was and and what it meant for the franchise as a whole, quote unquote. (laughs) I think uh, it's unfortunate because there's like a there's a sector of people who dislike the second game that are very, very toxic. It's like, um, you, you know how like. The conversation around like the Last Jedi has become really toxic because it's just like a bunch of people that don't like a lot of the changes that Ryan Johnson made, uh, and and but they're it's not for like legitimate storytelling reasons. It's because you know they're they're toxic elements to the fandom. Um, I feel like one of those people that like didn't like the Last Jedi for completely legitimate reasons. I'm not, I, I I I like the Last Jedi. I'm just saying like, but yeah. there's people out there who are like I didn't like the Last Jedi because of the storytelling or because of blah blah blah. Um, not because they're a toxic fan who you know only likes to see certain types of tropes on screen. Um, that's how I feel about the Last of Us Part Two. It's like Christian, I'm not a toxic Last of Us fan. <laughs> I disliked it for completely legitimate reasons. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, I get. I, I can't wear. I can't wear my 1994 red Houston Rockets NBA <laughs> championship hat, and I also can't talk about how I did not like the casino scene in uh, Star Wars Episode Eight. You know, like <laughs> exactly. exactly. There's certain things you need to give up, and one of them is not liking The Last of Us Part Two if you don't want to be associated with like terrible elements of the fandom. But I, I will say, it does fill me with terror. <laughs> It does fill me with terror, like what season two is going to do to our society and or the discourse. I'm just going to put that out there. Like season one is going to be a love. Like I'm loving the engagement with our listeners right now. I'm loving the podcast we're putting out. And then season two, man, like that's like a train coming from far away that I'm not looking forward to it getting here. Um, But one day it's going to be here and uh, we're going to need to engage with it. So uh, I'll be interested to see how it all plays out. 
Um, my secret hope. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm not. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say what my secret hope is. I'll save that for the bonus episode. But um, okay. So anyway, Last of Us uh, continues to be a massive hit, and it's, it becomes a bigger hit each week. That was the main thrust of what I wanted to say. And finally, before we begin uh, today's episode, I, I want to acknowledge a couple of emails at decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, Chris Nichols from Texas writes in, uh, he wanted to write in a correction. He said, Merle Dandridge did voice Alex Vance in Half-Life 2, Half-Life 2, Episode 1, and Half-Life 2, Episode 2, but she did not voice Alex Vance in Half-Life Alex. Now, Christian, you already knew this information, so maybe it was a misspeak, maybe it was a mishear, wanted to clear it up. Um, I think Christian already knew that she wasn't, uh, Merle Dandridge didn't voice um, Alex Vance in Half-Life Alex, but sorry if it was communicated otherwise. I didn't re-listen. I, I probably should, but I have not re-listened. I don't know. I, I could have seen myself saying she was Alex in Half-Life or played, you know, I don't know how I said it. But yes, not in the newest VR title, but in the prior Half-Life games, she voiced the character of Alex. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chris also shared, like, the, the, the feedback about the opening little 60s segment in the uh, first episode has been overwhelmingly positive from listeners and everyone that's not me. So, uh, but Chris also put in some positive <laughs> thoughts about that um that i wanted to uh he said like he if he found it very effective so i wanted to mention that all right um speaking of mistakes that we've made on the podcast uh drew from east bethel minnesota writes into decoding tv at gmail.com hey guys love the show um uh, one tiny detail i noticed is that on the last two podcast episodes you mentioned that sarah dies on joel's birthday on october 23rd not to split hairs here or anything, but she dies on the 24th, not on his birthday, the 23rd. The scene where she wakes up and he's gone, they cut to the clock and it's 2.16 a.m., meaning it's the next day. Anyway, super minor detail I know. Just thought I'd point it out so we don't keep talking about how she died on his birthday. Then again, I never played the game, so maybe that's what it's like in there. Keep up the great work. Can't wait to hear more. End quote. Christian, you're shaking your head because in the video game, I think it is the same as the show, right? Yeah. And I, I love these emails. Like there's going to be stuff that listeners and, and viewers watch that we either miss or just don't bring up on an episode because, you know, we could talk forever about each episode, but we also are making something listenable. <laughs> Hopefully. We're, I mean, we're trying. We're, yeah, we're trying. Trying. And um, apparently, according to these emails, failing. No, I'm just kidding. No, they say yeah, they love the very, show. They're but very nice. They're very nice. We're idiots. Um, and I, I love these. <laughs> Please keep sending them. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to continue to miss little moments that stood out to, you know, you all listeners that clicked for you in a way. And I, I love stuff like this. And I, I never promise to be perfect, but I promise to do my best. And I do love picturing Joel like uh, in the future, like, you know, in, in uh, Outbreak, uh, Joel, having a wonderful birthday and then being sad the next day, you know? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, they are different days. I've compartmentalized. Today yeah, is my I mean, birthday. That's, that, that's the thing. If something happened horrible the next day, that's still, for for me, if, if it was me, <laughs> I would think about it as the same thing, okay? No, you wouldn't. You would have a wonderful, you know, 50th birthday <laughs> and then you'd be sad. The yeah. next day. But yeah. that no, that is a great catch. And I, I'm not trying to make light of, of the catch. I think that yeah, is Yeah, we, we shouldn't we should not make mistakes. But but for me, like it, yes. Okay, it, it happened two hours after his birthday. For, if it was me, it would still be basically the same memory. I would be like, Okay, yes, I'm blowing out the candles on the cake now, but in six hours I'm gonna be thinking about <laughs> how my daughter was brutally murdered by paramilitary forces. Um yeah. you know. So <laughs> Anyway, thank you for the correction. Andrew writes into decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, 
First off, love both of you and all the work you do. I wanted to write in because I'm loving your podcast, but also to point out that it is an absolute treat to have Gustavo Santolaya doing the music for the show. Episode three was so joyful and sad in a happy kind of way that these two got to live true lives together. They'd never had a chance to live before Outbreak Day. What got me, though, was when the music starts as they go to the boutique and it starts their last day together. The music in The Last of Us is so crucial to the plot. It is almost a character in and of itself. And I'm just so happy to hear the same philosophy seems to have carried over the show. Gustavo's music is haunting, but also so moving in moments. I hope it continues. Can't wait to keep listening, Andrew. End quote. I agree, man. Like... The music is truly excellent work, and it's so nice that to see it's being exposed to, um, you know, millions more people via this show. You know what I mean? Like it's it's really beautiful stuff, uh, beautiful guitar work, and uh, they've they basically have retained a lot of the uh, a lot of the themes and motifs from the game. You know, it's also interesting they've uh, retained a lot of the music from. The the second video game. I don't know if you noticed that, Christian, mm. but um, Take on Me was a big part of the second video game, and that was used in um, the trailers for the show. Uh, and the uh, uh, True Faith was the closing credit song of Episode Four. That was a huge advertising song for uh, for the second game. Um, so there's a lot of like music mixing back and forth between part two of the game as well. And also into like the show or the advertising for the show. Um, don't know if you noticed that, but I I thought it was interesting. So, yeah. And to the email, um, I, I was going to clack on my, my clicky keyboard here to pull the name, but I didn't want to clack away, but on the official, the last of us, um, podcast feed, the bonus episode I did with Neil Druckmann before, uh, this HBO show started, but kind of talking about it. Um, we talk about how the Gustavo's score is used, but also supplemented. And I don't have the other musician's name in front of me, which I, I could look up. Um, maybe the I other musician clap. in this show? Yeah. So it's not I think all, it's da- I th- David Fleming is, does the music as well. Yes, yes. And so it's it's kind of a, a beautiful um, mix of – I'm going to clack for a second. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. Of, of Gustavo's score – with yeah. David's work to what I think is so beautiful about it is it's not like up oh, that's Gustavo and that's David up oh, that's David and here comes Gustavo like it's very complimentary and I think mm-hmm. yeah. it's masterful in turning video game music which is often reliant on stems and loops and because as a character you can idle in a corner and the music kind of needs to keep moving and changing that into something that is a more of a traditional score and I think they've done an excellent job so far in the show of bringing those pieces into something more linear than something that can stay on joel for an hour as you you know loot a warehouse or whatever whatever. yeah um before we get into this episode uh there is one other thing i wanted to mention christian which is the reaction to last week's episode uh of the the show um i just thought it was really interesting to read you know um i would say overall people reacted how we thought they would react. Like the response to last week's episode of the show, long, long time was rapturous. Like a lot of people saying this is one of the greatest episodes of TV of all time. Um, Mike Flanagan, I think tweeted, this is one of the, you know, Mike Flanagan who himself has created some TV that I would regard as some of the best of all time. It's like, (laughs) that was one of the greatest TV episodes of all time. Um, I think many people, including us, 
I don't know if we fully articulated this on the podcast. Maybe we did on the bonus episode. Um, but like that, that is an episode of television that like justified why this, this TV show exists. It's like, Oh, you can't explore things that the game did not. And some people, uh, actually wrote about how this episode shows how the story is better when it's not a video game, because in the video game, you cannot tell the story that you told in last week's episode. You, you cannot veer off for one hour to become a gay dating simulator. Like that does not make sense in the context of video game. Um, so there was a lot of that, but there was also some people that didn't like last week's episode, you know, that thought it was a really unsubtle or saccharine depiction of a gay romance. Um, I think one of the opinions I saw online that I had the, the most, I could see why someone would feel that way is like, um, it, it is a weird relationship dynamic where if you break up with this person, you die. Like, um, that's like, that creates a lot of pressure on the relationship and we never see any of that, you know, like we never, we see a little bit of tension between the two of them, like some yelling about decorating things and so on and inviting friends, but like, that's it overall. It's like largely like a really positive rapturous romance. Um, and, and not seeing any of that subtlety, some people think robbed it of its power. Um, so Anyway, I just I, I want to acknowledge that there was a lot of different perspectives on last week's episode, but overall, it was a very positive reaction that people had, and that they shared our opinion of it. Um, Christian, any thoughts on last week's episode before we move on into this week's? I, I think to me, the most interesting conversation was about the stuff that you mentioned of like, oh, this shows why the story's better than in the game, and and I don't know if that's quite a fair comparison because I think the game could have told. A similar story the game could have also been a first person shooter it could have been a date like it's telling a story yeah. that wasn't told in the game but to say correct i, mean, I, yeah, yeah. I love I video games i don't think it's fair to say that video games can't tell could that not, kind yeah. of story they, they are, they're technically capable of telling this story. yes right. games yeah. like florence and um until dusk falls is a more recent kind of narrative mm-hmm. story and yeah. i think video yeah. games can do things that tv can't like salt, like Snake and Metal Gear Solid Four going through the microwave hallway is is impactful because it's interactive, and I think the same is true of the video game, where some moments of, of stuff that's happened in the show already, um, like the the state house, is stressful because you are low on resources and interacting in a way. So I, I understand it as a critique that hey, this thing did something more impactful than what happened in the game but I don't walk all the way out onto the ledge of games can't do this. Um, and I will probably die yeah, on that hill. I, of, I, I, <laughs> games I can agree. tell a good story. Yeah. I would agree with you that games are technically capable of telling the story, like what we saw last week, but I don't know if they could have done it in a game called the last of us. You know, like I don't know if you could have taken a huge, I guess you could have. I guess you could have another because I think like I think Last of Us Part Two does similar things where it like you'll be in the story and then bloop now we're in a different time period with a different character and you know we're doing a different thing and like that's that is something that Last of Us Part Two does. okay so I, I, I've in the last ten seconds I've come around on your point of view on that so <laughs> or like a game like and, Celeste that is an action platformer but it tells a beautiful story about coming out and dealing with depression and living your true self and wrestling with an inner demon. And it does it in a way that is very different. And I'm sure there's great cinema and TV that tackles uh, similar themes, 
but I think the way the game tackles it is unique to gaming. So again, this is splitting hairs, kind of like Joel's birthday day after Joel's birthday. Um, but I agree that the game did not tell this story, but I don't think video games in general, even action oriented video games are incapable of telling a story as impactful as um, episode three of the show. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, there's one last thing I want to just acknowledge about last week's episode, which is that like uh, people have been talking about that episode in relationship to the bury your gaze trope uh, in TV and film where like a show will introduce an L uh, LGBTQ character and then uh, kill them off. Um, and I, I won't, it's not my discussion to get into. Um, so I'm just going to say like, I think there's been a lot of good writing about it and I think it's worth like considering that perspective. So just like Google last of us, bury your gaze and you'll find a lot of like great writing about that topic. But I, I did want to acknowledge that like many people seem to think that that episode subverted that trope. Some people think it played into that trope. Um, not my place to have an opinion. Uh, I will let people read up on it, but I wanted to acknowledge that that perspective is out. Those perspectives are out there and they are also worth considering. So along those lines, something that we didn't talk about before, but there's also been discussion um, about Sarah's death and the trope of fridging, yeah, um, which yeah. is where a character exists purely for the, the, the idea of giving your protagonist their reason to etra often a cisgendered straight white male who loses a female. Um, and I think there's interesting stuff written about that, about this, this game, the show, but also just the trope in general. And I think if folks aren't aware of either, um, burying your gaze or fridging, it's enlightening to read and, and kind of go into media with that, um, background. Yeah, just be aware that like, this is a trope that people recognize and that, and that if people, um, use this imagery, uh, it is loaded, there's loaded imagery and, and ideas around it. Um, speaking of loaded imagery, by the way, also the idea of like, um, I also saw some chatter about the idea of, uh, of a gay man pushing another gay man in a wheelchair. Like that's a very loaded imagery for a lot of people, um, because of, you know, the AIDS crisis and other things like that. So like, um, and, and some people criticizing the show for like whether or not they deployed that re imagery, uh, responsibly, uh, again, not my, um, sort of place to have really a, a strong opinion on this, but I, I would encourage people to, to read up on it because I think it's worthwhile and it will enrich your understanding of the show. Okay. Uh, that's all the talk about last week's episode. Let's finally get into this week's episode, Christian season one, episode four, uh, entitled, please hold to my hand. This is a lyric from Hank Williams song alone and forsaken, which plays during the course of the episode. It was also used in the marketing for, uh, season one of Last of Us in the trailer. You pay for those royalties. You use it as much as you can. You know that, <laughs> that's you how that works. That's how that works. Uh, <laughs> not really, but yeah. Um, but as you as you pointed out in the show notes, uh, Christian, the second episode in a row with song lyrics as the episode title. So uh, who knows if that's going to be a long running thing? It um, won't be like cold opens, right? They'll do two and then drop it. Yeah, we'll spend ten minutes discussing yeah. it here, and then it will never happen again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it opens with Ellie in a bathroom shooting uh, the gun that she picked up from Bill's house last episode, uh, and Un unloaded. She's kind of like aiming it. Un unloaded. And she's pew -pew aiming. She's it. like, "You yeah. talking to me? You talking to me?" Um, she clearly is really energized by the thought of guns. But here's another thing, Christian. Uh, she knows how to use them because. If you've ever used a gun before, which I have, um, she knew to empty the clip 
and she knew to uh, make sure there's nothing in the chamber before she started pulling the trigger, um, which a which a newbie might not know. Like as someone who didn't wasn't familiar with guns might not know. So she is she's someone who knows her way around guns, uh, and we find that out th- in this scene by the way she's handling that gun, and also later on uh, in the episode as well. So, uh, any thoughts on that before we talk about the gas station stuff? I, I think it's interesting for setting up Ellie's re- potentially setting up Ellie's relationship to violence and mm-hmm. what she's seen and grown up with um, and knows. And I think there is some, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not realism, but the idea of someone that's 14 finding this stuff cool, mm-hmm. even when it is a big part of their world, but not something that she's interacted with in a real way. You know, she, she killed the one infected, um, uh, in, in the basement, uh, last episode, but hasn't really seen the, how bad the world is. And I think it's, it's almost innocent in a way of, Oh yeah, guns are cool. Look at me. I'm a, I'm a badass chick or whatever. Um, and I, I think that's it reminded me of how young and innocent Ellie is in a world that is not <laughs> young or innocent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I agree. I've really come to appreciate Bella Ramsey's performance as Ellie in the last few episodes because she is single-handedly providing all the lightness and comic relief in the show. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a very, very bleak, dark show. And uh, I'm really liking kind of her... You know, she's very irreverent. She's very, like, not taking this that seriously, even though she's in a post-apocalypse. It's really a testament to the resilience of teens and children uh, in challenging situations. Um, Okay. They're at a gas station. Joel is siphoning gas from parked cars because um, gas wears down over time. Uh, And so he needs to siphon a lot of it in order to get uh, any distance whatsoever. I think this is a good time to bring up the fact that this episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by Nissan. And I think what Joel would have loved is a Nissan EV in our society. That would have been really amazing for him, right? Because as a pioneer in the electrical, electric vehicle space, Nissan is always looking for ways to deliver new, meaningful technologies to EV owners. After all, Nissan's been making EVs since 1947, and their EVs have now traveled 8 billion miles by Nissan Leaf owners since 2010. 8 billion miles. That's the equivalent of driving to Pluto and back. And if you think that's electrifying, one of their EVs trekked all the way to the North Pole. Nissan even tests their EV technology on the Formula E racetrack. But Nissan knows you don't just get an EV for the E. You get a Nissan EV because it makes you feel electric. It sparks your imagination. It ignites something within you. It pins you to your seat. And it takes your breath away. At least that's what Nissan thinks about when designing their EVs like the Nissan Aria and the Nissan Leaf. It's about creating a thrilling design that electrifies its customers. I love Nissan's focus on creating a thrilling drive and an electrifying life. In today's world, it's so important to look around you, to pay attention, to look for all the tiny ways that life can electrify you. And I'm just going to say, I think having a Nissan EV really would have helped Joel out in this situation. Having a Nissan EV in our society, he would have found it to be uh, not only environmentally friendly, um, but also a lot easier to use than siphoning gas from dead cars along the highway. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, Nissan in EV in our society would have just been a boon to Joel in The Last of Us, and it's a huge bummer that he did not have access to this technology. But that's why we should count our blessings and recognize that Nissan has EVs that electrify. Thanks to Nissan for sponsoring us for this episode. 
Okay. Let's move on. So they're siphoning gas off of cars uh, on the side of the road and in the gas station. And that's when Ellie starts uh, reading jokes, puns that she found uh, in this book. I don't know if that's a real book. Do you know if it's a real book, Christian? As in a book that you can go yeah. and buy, or yeah, is a, that a, a, is that a real book? I, I don't uh, I don't know if that's an actual book that people have access to today. But anyway, we can talk more about it in the spoiler episode. Let's put I it see. there. Gotcha, yep. gotcha. Um, but suffice to say, or the bonus episode, I should say, not spoiler. Yeah, We're yeah, spoiling yeah. the episode right now. The bonus episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the next, the one we do next week. But um, yes, yes. The. Uh, you know, she's reading off all these puns, which becomes like a, a touch point for the two of them during the course of the episode. Um, and it's nice to see them bond over their shared love slash hatred of puns. Um, yeah, Joel's not into it here. He's no. I mean, he's he's doing the the hard work, siphoning gas, and and you know, Ellie's peppering him with uh, bad <laughs> bad jokes, and he's not. He's not feeling it, you know? Have you ever listened to the DLC podcast with Christian and Jeff Kanata? <laughs> you know, basically same dynamic when it comes to I haven't, puns. but I've listened to this podcast, uh, the film cast. And mm, yeah, it's like same dynamic po- with Jeff Poem Kanata. every week and yeah. the guy who like misdirects what movie he's talking about every week. You think mm-hmm. it's going to be a movie and then it's something else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's rough. So I know the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they get in the truck, uh, they're driving, and uh, they put on Hank Williams on on the radio, and it's it's beautiful, you know, little travel log. Um, there's a road trip montage. We see busted up towns. I think they had like they. It felt like they had. I don't know if policy is the right word, but it felt like they had a approach where in virtually every shot, uh, you see some indication that you're in a post-apocalypse. Like, in virtually, mm. I would say in 95% of the shots, there's some sign, sometimes literally, it's like an Arby's sign or whatever, um, that, like, you're in a rundown society. And it can be a subtle thing. It can be, it can be like, a road sign. It can be, there's a plane crash on the side of the road. It can be, the train tracks are gone. You know, like, whatever it is. Um, but I think it's very effective visual storytelling overall. You know? Some of it's, like, fairly obvious CG, but overall, I think it looks really good and really nice world building. So. They pull off the road into the woods. Uh, They're cooking, camping for the night. Joel says they can't start. Ellie wants to start a fire. Joel's like, I'm annoyed you would even ask that. Um, (laughs) But he's like, there's no infected out in this far out into the woods, right? Which is an interesting idea that like uh, infected are only in places where there's civilization, I think is the implication, right? So out in the woods, it's not infected that he's worried about. He's worried about like raiders or slavers or whatever. Um, and Ellie tells Joel some more jokes from the book. Um, and Joel starts to smile a little bit. Uh, so yeah, then they get back on the road and they talk about Tommy. Yeah, go ahead. I think the thing that happens here is the talk of Raiders. And I think Joel starts as the kind of reassuring adult and Mm -hmm. is like, they're not going to find us out here. But then he doesn't sleep much that night. Like, I, I think the thought of people finding them as he reassures Ellie and she zonks out, he then gets up and kind of stands guard with the gun. Um, and, and it's, I think, hinting at the larger theme of this episode. And as you mentioned, kind of a transition episode to some extent, but also the idea of humans are the bad guys too. And in a way that like for a lot of the the show so far, 
it's been the threat of the infected. And Joel, you've heard Raiders as he warns um, Bill and Frank about it and, and the idea of people being bad. But I think in this moment, it hits him in a way that's like, yeah, it could be bad. It could be bad. Yeah. Well, another theme of the episode, I think, is to what extent an adult can protect a child from the horrors of the world. Right. Because the whole time Joel is focused on like a kid shouldn't have to go through this. You shouldn't have to think about these things like and he has this very like reasonable but infantilized idea of what Ellie should be. Right. Like she shouldn't be exposed to guns. And it's like, well, you know, you're not really in a situation where that's practical at this point. Right. Like um, and, and I do think that's an idea of like that's running throughout the episode is to what extent Joel can protect Ellie. And I think he's realizing he can't, right? And it's a metaphor about how um, parents can't protect children, you know, in, from from the challenges and the horrors of the world at large. Obviously, it's a very extreme version here, you know, but um, it, it, to the extent the show is saying anything, maybe that's something we, we ultimately don't know where this season is going to end up on that theme. Um, but it seems to be like that's going to be a theme of this season, so... I think in this um, episode, uh, you know, to broadly speak, moving ahead, just in this episode, we see that theme reinforced again and again and again. And the idea of protector and protectee and, and what is required to survive in this world. And I think they're setting it up there in that early scene of, you know, who Joel is, the character he is, the letter he got saying who he is and what his job is when they left um, Bill and Frank's house. Mm-hmm. And um, and now in this moment of of him being that that person and then what happens later <laughs> later in the episode they get back on the road uh ellie asks about tommy and joel decides to open up this is like the most we've seen him really open up he talks about how tommy was in the army um pre-outbreak joel calls tommy a joiner and talks about how he talked to joel into joining a group of folks who made their way into boston and how they met Tess that way uh, how Tommy met Marlene, and Marlene talked him into joining the Fireflies. Joel says Tommy was delusional about wanting to save the world and says all Fireflies are. Uh, and then there is a question about, like, well, if you don't think there's hope, why keep going on? And Joel says, you keep going for family, and that's about it. Um, Joel again says Ellie is just cargo, but he made a promise to Tess, and Tess was like family. This is a little interesting to me. You know, we we try to minimize the number of video game comparisons in the actual regular episode christian but i don't recall him articulating any of this in the game in this way um what are your thoughts on this like yeah and i think folks should listen to the other bonuses we do and the ones were you know i think i imagine talking i mean some of the stuff from this episode that we'll talk about in the next bonus episode we do but tommy is at this point in the story a different character um in, Mm -hmm. in the relation to joel and so these interactions weren't happening um, in the same way that is happening here in the show. Yeah, um, and we should say like the idea of Tommy, like he's going to. Right. We, we don't yes. know. We we literally don't know if Tommy's alive in the show or in the game at this point, and it could be different. Right. Like we literally don't know. Um, but the idea of Tommy and like Joel's relationship to Tommy is different at this point in the video game. So, um, but also I think the video game never really articulated. Joel's motivation in such an explicit fashion. I don't recall. Like, because in the video game, you play Joel, so you you just have your own motivation. And, you know, part of it is I'm doing what the video game tells me, but part of it is, like, I care about these characters, and I'm going to, you know, 
take the next logical step. Whereas here, he's explicitly saying it's for family. And the family is really important to Joel. Um, and yeah, it's very clear in the show, explicit in the show. Uh, and I think it's, that's probably going to become a very important theme or it already is an important theme, right? Yeah, I think it's I think it's in the game, but I yeah, I mean I, it is in the game, but not in EA Sports. Um, no, it's dumb. It's in the game. Sorry, I can't help myself. <laughs> but, um, but it's it's not said like this, right? It's, it's, it's kind correct. of implied heavily. Yeah, this scene uh, as constructed isn't here, but I also think it's a, a harrowing scene for Ellie in this moment where she's been told for however long now that she's the cure, she's humanity's hope, and the fireflies are going to save her. And Joel said, and I think Bella plays it beautifully. And Joel's like, fireflies are idiots. They're all dum-dums. You can't believe anything they say. Mm -hmm. They're delusional. And Ellie's like, "Uh, well, crap. You know, what am I doing? And I love uh, Ellie as a character here has that moment of like, and I think Bella plays it perfectly of like contemplation, but she doesn't pick a fight with Joel. She doesn't say then like, what the heck are we doing? She turns it to then like, why go on generally? um to joel instead of saying then like what yeah what, what am i supposed to do and i right. think that was played so well in such a beautiful scene and it's such a small part of this kind of like road trip montage you know, you know that we're living in right now yeah uh there's a little bit of a joke in the video game and the show about this uh men's magazine you know this pornographic magazine that bella finds in the seat it's literally plays out in the same way in the game as it does in the show um, and also I remember in the video game when that scene happened, it was immediately followed by an ambush. And I was like, oh man, something bad's going to happen in the show. Probably. So they get to a blocked freeway in Kansas city. Um, they pull into the city, they get lost in the streets. They see that the QZ is no longer operational there, which is like a huge red flag. If, if like Fedra is not even there, it's like, wow, like this place must be really lawless. Um, and then they get ambushed. There's a guy who like, pretends he needs help and joel immediately doesn't even hesitate he's like we're not helping that guy and he's just like he knows that it is not what they think it is um so there's a big gunfight uh crossfire that happens uh across this uh this street i think the staging of it is actually really well done um like the positioning of the vehicle and uh, these people across the street who are like shooting at him. And then he tells Ellie to get in this hole while he uh, fights them off. And when she's just struggling to like get into this hole in the wall, like you realize like how uh, delicate this whole situation is. Like this girl could get, get, get shot right there. And like the whole mission's over uh, this girl who theoretically holds the key to um, saving humanity. And it's just like, Oh, she could just get murdered due to like a misunderstanding or because no one knows her importance, you know? Um, very children of men vibes in that situation. Um, so Ellie crawls into a hole in the wall. Joel takes two of them out, but one rushes him and gets a jump on him. They struggle. And while the person is strangling Joel, Ellie comes out of the hole in the wall and shoots the person who survives the initial shot. And then uh, Joel basically says, hey, get back in the hole in the wall before he uh, finishes the person off. Um, so yeah, what'd you think of this whole sequence, Christian? I I, I think, you know, as a whole it's hard to say that is this episode as quote unquote good as episode three. Uh, no episode three is this seminal piece of storytelling in my opinion, but what this episode does in terms of setting up and serving as a transition episode and some of the small moments, as I mentioned, the one of, of Ellie and Joel prior. And now this moment of um, this person 
dying, uh, we learn his name is Brian. I, I think is one of the most powerful moments in the show, you know, up up to that up to that point. Um the way he, you know, when he's strangling Joel, like he comes around and, and comes in through the other door and strangles him and is like, oh yeah, you're the tough guy now. Oh yeah, you're going to die. Like, you know, kind of cussing him out mm-hmm. and like, you killed my friends. I'm going to kill you, blah, blah, blah. And in this position of power and, and Joel's dead, right? Like, I mean, he's, yeah. his eyes are bugging. He, he has lost this encounter. And then Ellie, um, using Ellie's gun, not Chekhov's, it's Ellie's gun, um, mm-hmm. in this instance, um, comes out and and saves saves his life, right? Being the protector. But for that, I mean, maybe she could have picked up a bat or something, but like, and and then saves Joel's life. And then Brian, that, that kid, the attacker, you know, just, um, you, you see his humanity and the idea of like, are there good people? in this world, like I'm just trying to picture and I'm filling in holes that aren't, you know, I, I think it's, it's world building, but like Fedra's down. We know that we, we see a car full of supplies. These people have to imagine like, what is this car? Who is this? It immediately becomes a fight. And then this Brian character sitting there laying on the ground being like, no, 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 no. We can be friends. We can trade. It's okay. And he starts like calling for his mom. Are you kidding? He's like, my mom's just down the street. And it's like, yeah, he's, He's probably what, 18, 17, you know, he's, he's a kid himself. And it's just, man, that scene, even thinking about it now, I'm going to get choked up. I mean, it's just, there's so much emotion in that small moment. I think that for so many shows, it's just a passing moment of like, Ellie saves the day. And I think it was Mm -hmm. so impactful here and seeing who these people are um, trying to survive in this world. I loved it. I'm glad you liked it. Um, it didn't, oh, interesting. It didn't same, yeah, it didn't have the same effect on me. I, it just was a little bit too theatrical, in my opinion. Because um, I think we've seen this scene before where, like, person begs for their life and uh, other person does not comply. And it's a sign of their lack of humanity or, uh, or their slipping away humanity and so on. Um, I think, you know, it, it, just, it just felt a little bit like I've seen that scene and this is like... I could I could kind of see where it was all converging to before it got there. Does that make sense? And and that um, prevented me from it having the most emotional impact on me. Um, but I will say, like, I my favorite thing about the scene is like Bella Ramsey's whole reaction to it. Like, she feels very shaken. But she she's kind of stoic, but she's also shaken by it. I, I think that was a very effective uh, moment for for that character. Um, but. The moment as a whole, I, I, I wanted it to have the same impact on me as it did for you, but it didn't quite, unfortunately. So, um, anyway, uh, so let's move on. What else happens in this episode? Um, why don't we talk about the Kathleen stuff separately at the end? Okay. What do you think? Sure. It doesn't really have an impact on this storyline, right? I mean, it's just like, I think the way it has, it's happenstance, right? Because yeah. of Joel and Ellie's actions and what's happening in Kathleen's world, she thinks the two are related. Yes, yes. Elevating a perceived threat because of Joel's a monster, <laughs> you know? And I think that's interesting. But yeah, not it's not like direct one-to-one right now. But at this point, they have killed some people and people, you know, the people who they've killed, their, their party is on the lookout for them, uh, for Ellie and Joel. So... Um, they enter the parking garage of a tall building 
and they take the stairs up as far as Joel can make it. Um, and at that point, Joel kind of describes some of his other uh, history with ambushes. He's like, how'd you know it was an ambush? And he's like, I've been on both sides of it. He did what he needed to survive. Um, Ellie asks him if he's ever killed innocent people, and he doesn't really have an answer. Um, but anyway, they go up into this building, 33 floors, uh, which is about as far as Joel can go. Uh, really, The show really wants you to know that climbing stairs at an old age is hard. Um, this is the second scene in four episodes that has commented on how if you get older, your knees give out and you can't climb stairs as easily. I feel like maybe <laughs> Neil Druckmann and Craig Mason have a thing against stairs is kind of what I'm gleaming from this episode. I just think that we don't, most people don't live in a six-story walk-up in New York and know what stairs are really like every day. I think mm-hmm. you think, oh, I could go up 56 flights of stairs. No, you couldn't. I saw you take the elevator at work, uh, Brad, and it was one floor. You know, like mm-hmm. you're not... <laughs> 33 flights. That's a lot of stairs, man. That's a lot of stairs. Yeah. Uh, we also learned that Joel is 56 years old. Uh, and I think this is the first time we've heard his explicit age. So that would have made him, what, 20? Uh, sorry, 36 in the opening scenes of the uh, of the show, right? Um, Pedro Pascal's age is in reality uh, forty seven, so he's kind of like right, be- right between, right? He could have done so many flights of stairs than as the actor. Um, <laughs> I know. Craig could have kept pushing him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, Joel then asks Ellie about who she's hurt before. Ellie doesn't really want to talk about it. Um, they also talk about how Joel can't hear too well from his right side. And uh, it, it is because of gunfire that's gone on around his right ear. And so she's like, maybe you should. Yep. Go ahead. And I, I should mention, there is a small scene before this where they're hiding in a bar mm-hmm, uh, yeah. as they're getting ready to make oh, their yeah. way. And so we learn a little bit about this um, back and forth. And we alluded to it before of um ellie's uh gun handling and how she learned about it at fedra school and how she's competent and joel kind of then after she uses the gun to save his life also gives her like the a-okay you keep it kid um but keep it in your backpack or else you'll shoot your butt off i think is the line yeah and then ellie keeps it in her coat pocket <laughs> yeah <laughs> not yeah. not putting it um not putting it in but he has this moment again of you shouldn't have to do that Kids shouldn't have to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. And he apologizes, and I yeah, think he's like, this. I, 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 he, he's like, it was on me. And this is yeah. I think, probably going to be very important. Is like he takes a lot of responsibility for these things going wrong, even though it's like, you know, we're in a post-apocalyptic environment. Anything could happen. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, yeah. And so um, I think that kind of broke Joel's armor a little bit more to lead to some of that stairway conversation of him opening up, like he's carrying this very fresh guilt. Um, and also knowing, feeling his age, right? Like I, I should have seen that guy or whatever, whatever, whatever and said you had to do it. And I think that allows for him to be softened up, um, for the conversation that happens up the stairs. Um, let's take a break and talk about a sponsor. Uh, I, I have more, I want to talk about with that scene, but let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more, uh, of decoding TV right after this. This episode of decoding TV is brought to you by the McDonald's app. Say it's raining outside, you're stuck working late, or maybe you had a really long night and you're trying not to leave your house today. Just order Mook Delivery in the app and get McDonald's delivered to your door. You can now order Mook Delivery in the McDonald's app because every time you order in the app, it earns you points towards free food. And let's be honest, who doesn't love free food? 
I don't know about you, Christian, but uh, whenever I'm about to watch a show uh, for Decoding TV, take notes, get ready to do the podcast, uh, I get hungry. Uh, I want to eat some food. I need some food to power me through. Uh, And so I love using the McDonald's app to get food. Uh, If you've ever used the app before, it's really, really cool. Uh, You get cool deals. You can earn points. Super easy, super convenient. It's well laid out. The food looks awesome in it. And now you can get McDelivery in the app. Get McDonald's delivered to your door. There's always a reason to order in the app. I love using it. Uh, And I recommend people check out the McDonald's app. Download the McDonald's app today at Participating McDonald's. McDonald's download and registration required. Delivery prices may be higher than at restaurants. Delivery and other fees may apply. A big thanks to McDonald's for sponsoring this episode of Decoding TV. Again, check out McDelivery in the app and get McDonald's delivered to your door. All right, Christian. One other thing I wanted to say about that scene uh, with Joel and Ellie. Sorry, I skipped over it earlier. Is um, he teaches Ellie how to use the gun, right? And like, uh, it's, she's like very excited about this. And I think it's supposed to be kind of like this triumphant moment. I mean, I think the show and the video game in general are kind of, to the extent they have any kind of ideology about protecting yourself, I think they're pro protecting yourself. Like there, there are, there are negative things that come from a protectionist standpoint. Um, but overall, most of the moments of triumph that you experience in the video game and then presumably in the show um, are from, like, knowing how to handle yourself and, like, protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did make me feel a little weird, you know, because it's like, um, I think people will have different opinions on, like, things like gun control and whether children should be able to use guns, you know, like, and... I think it's really hard for a show like this that has this kind of plot um, to to escape the idea that it is a good thing to know how to use guns and to be able to use guns and to be willing to use guns. Um, and I just want to acknowledge that because it's a, it's like a big mo- emotional moment in the episode when he like gives her the gun. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I I think it was earned in the in the story here in the show where oh, totally. It's totally up to earned. this point he yeah. was no 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 yeah, and yeah, then she yeah. uses it he sees that she is competent in handling it in, in many ways and then he just gives her a few extra points it's kind of like yeah I can see you need this I have no tests you know I have no one else with me I, I see the value in you having this for the stuff we're doing um, let's make sure let's do our best to to make sure that you're doing it properly. And then she immediately uh, doesn't, <laughs> you know, she still kids it up a little bit and puts it yeah. in her coat pocket. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I hear your point. I, I, but I agree. I also... totally, it's not my complaint. is not that it's not earned. It's, I think it's a great, well-earned arc of like him handing over the, like for the last two episodes, he's been like, no guns, no guns, no guns. And finally he's like, here you go. Here's a gun. That's, that is a worthy, like it was earned because of what happened in the show. Totally. Um, but it's more like, I think it's meant to be like, here's a moment of them bonding. Here's a moment where like Ellie has like really proven herself. Right. And I think we're supposed to interpret it as a positive thing of her getting her first gun. And uh, it's just stuff I'm like self-conscious about as I'm watching how our culture talks about guns, you know? Um, So that's, that's all I was saying. Uh, I I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Christian. Was there anything else we had to say about that or. 
No, I, I, and I think it's an effective scene. You know, after watching it in the show, it kind of comes between some Kathleen moments. And I think it's an effective scene of showing um, what I imagine is uh, a lot of downtime, you know, in this adventure, right? There are moments where you are just sitting and waiting. Uh, and how do you fill that time? And what are you doing? We saw that in... Um, I think it's the pilot episode, right? Where she's like, what are you doing now? And he's like sleeping, <laughs> you, you know, as they waited to leave the mm-hmm. Boston QZ. And here they are. It's tense. It's heightened. Um, he has a line of like, they're searching apartments now, but I, I'm sure they'll come here soon. They're looking for somebody or looking for us. Um, and I, I like that they show those moments. I like that this show so far has taken its time. Uh, it's still, you know, very action packed and the drama is constantly going and yeah. there's always arguments and stuff, but it doesn't feel like 24. Another show I loved. Um, oh, and um, as I say that, we <laughs> should say uh, the woman who um, plays Tess in the game passed yeah. away. Yeah. Um, she was also Agent Annie, Annie Wershing. Very talented actress who was in 24. She also played yeah. Tess in, in The Last of Us video game, as Christian just pointed out. Passed away this last week. Very, very sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I stumbled I stumbled into that emotional uh, wall myself there. Um, but in 24, uh, you know, that show never really rested. It was kind of its 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 thing. And I, I like that The Last of Us takes these moments between characters and gives them pause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So... Ellie and Joel start joking around and yeah, they, they finally have like a nice bonding moment at the end before they are, they fall asleep. Um, and Joel kind of plays along with the puns, uh, before they are rudely awakened at gunpoint and then smash cut to credits. Uh, they are awakened by two people holding guns and they have Ellie and Joel at gunpoint. And then we don't know who they are. We don't know why they're holding them at gunpoint. We don't know what's going on. Um, but, presumably I, I think the heavy implication is that these are the two people that Kathleen are, is looking for. Right. Um, two kids, despite Joel's best laid plans to have them not get snuck up on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sneak up on them. Well, yeah. Climbing um, 33 story, you know, like what uh, I'm going to, I'm kind of curious, like how the, the show will explain how they were found. Maybe they were being followed the whole time. Right. Like, um, or maybe it was a coincidence. I don't know. I'm very curious. I have, you know, uh, these are characters in the game, but I am very curious how the show is going to handle these characters because I think it's going to be a little bit different. Um, so anyway, uh, and that's that's it for Ellie and Joel this this episode. So uh, that's their storyline. We did get a B story this episode, Christian. Uh, it wasn't introduced until like two thirds of the way through the episode, but we did get one. And that's this character of Kathleen by Melanie Linsky. Uh, now, this is a complete show invention, right? Like, I don't think Kathleen is in the game at all, right? Correct. Um, Kansas City uh, as well is a complete, the, the city, the setting is a complete show invention. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there is no such thing as Kansas City in real life, guys. I don't know if you've heard No, of in the what, game. In, why would they call in, in, <laughs> a city Kansas City and it's not in Kansas? It makes absolutely no sense. In right? the game, so, it's Missouri City. That's a good point. Yeah, it's, uh... <laughs> They would never name a city Kansas City in our reality. No, right? I mean, it's that'd ludicrous. Be nonsense. Yeah. nonsense. And that team would never have a, that city would never have a good football team. Um, yeah. It's all yeah. make-believe. None of it's real. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so Kathleen, who, what, what, what do we know about Kathleen? In in your opinion, at this like what what who is like my sense is Kathleen is kind of like the leader of this group or at least one of the leaders of this group of people that have kind of taken over Kansas City 
uh, and and now run the place, right? Like that's that was my interpretation. What was your interpretation? Yeah, I I think it's uh, Melanie's casting or, or, or what she brings to this role. Um, Kathleen, I think, is the scariest person we've maybe met so far. Like we're told Joel and Tess were scary people. We're told often that Joel mm-hmm. is you know is a, is a scary dude. Watch out. Um, Kathleen has these like motherly vibes. You know, like she mm-hmm. she seems like nurturing. She seems to be the person who would. Like, oh, the Fedra's down. Here's our community garden. You, you know, like, come help. And that that she's kind of running, as we see in this episode, this, you know, mercenary army, like that agent dude who looks like classic agent dude. You know, like, I feel like his hands are always resting on his tactical vest as he, as he talks. Yeah. Um, and her interaction with the doctor character in this episode, like, Kathleen, oh, it's Kathy Bates in Misery. Those are the vibes mm-hmm. that I'm getting from Kath. Like, I'm so sweet. I'm here to help. As soon as I have the opportunity, I'm tying you to my bed and breaking your kneecaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she is creepy. And I think really well played as this, you know, it's not who I would expect to be running the no longer Fedra occupied kansas city right it's not this alpha male i'm sitting on top of a tank chomping a cigar arnold schwarzenegger character and i think that makes her and i'm bringing some of my bias and prejudice i guess into that but she feels a little more unpredictable than just like oh that is bad guy go kill bad guy it seems like there's some heart there and and i'm curious if if um you know what her intents are um in terms of running this city now yeah um I'm going to say that I think Melanie Linsky is one of the most talented actors of our time. I've loved her in most of the things she's been in. Um, and, you know, I, this has happened where, like, initially, like, I'm not loving the performance and then I'll come around on it. And maybe that's what's going to happen in this case. But so far, I wasn't it, I wasn't really vibing with this specific performance quite yet just because she felt very rattled by a lot of the stuff that was happening in the episode. Um, and my vision of somebody who can like rise to the top of some, uh, of an organization like this or whatever is there where like, there's like hardcore dudes just murdering people left and right is like, that person is like completely in control of, um, of, of their, their demeanor and how they show up and so on. And she felt very rattled by a lot of the stuff that was going on in this episode. And it just, it it was just kind of like, I'm less seeing like cold and calculating, um, person who was able to like probably kill their way to the top and more like um melanie linsky and uh so maybe we'll learn more but you know we only see like 10 20 minutes of her but like so far i'm not like i wasn't like oh this is an amazing depiction of this character but um it's possible i will get there i will get there uh just so so far like like when she like finds like you know her people have been killed and she's like oh well maybe a doctor can i, I understand it's like there's desperation there like she's supposed to feel desperate but um Later on, when we see she finds something like underground that's really weird and creepy, and I think it's going to be like uh, tell tell heart. Like, yeah, it's like it's like a mystery <laughs> that the show sets up. That it's like, oh, what is what is going on there? What's what's going to happen there? That's kind of interesting. Um, uh, but she's also clearly kind of just like I, I think like again uh, rattled is the word i would use to describe uh you know i didn't get the sense of like oh this is a person who like feels like super in control and you know we we've seen that character even in the show before like um i would say uh what's her name um 
Merle Dandridge's character, um, whose name escapes me. Marlene. Marlene. Marlene, yeah. That's a person who, like, oh, uh, all of her dudes have just been killed. Like, and she's, like, completely in control of the situation. She's like, hey, you're going to do this? You're going to do that? You know, like, I'm like, oh, that's, like, that's what I imagine a leader would be in this situation, right? Um, I didn't get those vibes from Melanie Linsky's character this episode. Um, I, maybe, I, I f- you know. I feel like, and I'm, oh, gosh, I, I, <laughs> maybe next episode will be, I'll be like, Mia Coppola, like, I'm totally wrong. I feel like. <laughs> She has been thrust in this situation, mm, and I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like I mean she's she's not you know doing a murder mystery investigation, but like there's we're coming into her scene I think in the middle of maybe her worst day. Like mm-hmm. she kills the person who delivered her as a baby. Yeah, um, she's interrogating him about her brother, and she's trying to find this person who we get the term collaborators, and I so I feel like. I, I I feel like Kathleen yesterday was probably very different than Kathleen today. And I have a feeling Kathleen tomorrow might also be very different than Kathleen today. I think like everything has gone sideways. Then two bodies yeah. show up. Then the telltale heart starts beating. Yeah. Like yeah. I I don't think we're seeing her. And again, also Marlene, we, we did not see her at her best. Um, you know, as all of yeah, her crew's been killed and yeah, she's yeah. been shot, but <laughs> your, your point's taken. I guess I just have like a, um, I have an idea. This is maybe David Chen bias. I have an idea in my head of like what a leader looks like in this situation. And like Marlene matches Marlene's composure and behavior matches that closer than Melanie Linsky in this scene, um, in, or in this episode, but maybe that's going to change over time. It, I, I wanted to feel, you know, <laughs> several times i wanted to feel what you felt i wanted to be like ooh, like that's a imposing scary figure and she does execute the guy in cold blood and that is like you know that's a frightening moment but but beyond that like the rest of the performance didn't really fit that for me you know that's just my, that's my own personal reaction so um anyway so what is even going on here we learned kathleen's brother was beaten to death possibly by fedra um, the guy who she's holding hostage, who is like a doctor, was apparently ratting on his neighbors to Fedra about something. Um, he says he didn't do it. She's convinced he did. We also learn he's the guy that delivered Kathleen when she was born. She says Henry apparently helped to rat out her brother. And Henry's in the city and she needs to know where he is. Um, later, she says, like, maybe Henry called in the people who killed her people. Uh, and so she's like, like you if he's got go a radio, he probably called in these mercs, which is these like, mercs. Yeah. oh, Joel, wrong place, wrong time, buddy. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> You're yep, in yep, it yep, now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they, then she's like, she decides to kill the doctor because he's like, she's, she thinks, you know, this guy can't pose any more usefulness to me. Um, and she blames these deaths on Henry and orders her group to find Henry and all the collaborators and kill them all. So we have no idea who Kathleen is at this uh, at this point or why. I don't think we understand why she's really looking for Henry, right? Other than maybe Henry led to the the death of – Henry took actions that led to the death of her brother. Is that, is that right? Basically like what we know about him? Um, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, and you're – you know, I, I think it's getting Nazi Germany invasion vibes of like ratting out your neighbor and mm-hmm. – you know, who's talking to the government, who's not people collaborating that aren't technically Fedra that are helping in this and terrible things are happening to air quote, good people. And the cities, you know, seem to be on edge long before um, Joel and Ellie ever arrive in it. 
there is one other scene with Kathleen going into an attic hiding space covered in what looks like little kids drawing. There's lots of canned food. Um, we learn about that, that Henry was theoretically here with another person named Sam. She says Henry won't let Sam starve. So presumably they ran out of food. They went out and then she thinks um, that they might have killed these other people. But it was actually Joel and Ellie that killed these other people. So anyway, they're off to find Henry and Sam. And I'm very curious how the whole Henry and Sam storyline is going to play out. Um, And that's basically the whole episode. So Christian, uh, I usually ask you this at the beginning of the episode, but any overall thoughts on the episode? Uh, One, I have to admit when I'm wrong, our listeners have emailed us a couple of times when I'm wrong, but I think I said, maybe it was just between us. Maybe it was on a main show or a bonus show, but I was like, oh, uh, every time you meet a new character, they're going to die. We've seen it already. You know, (laughs) the Fedrigar, dead, Tess, dead, Bill Frank, dead. This episode, Kathleen, not dead. Well, we did meet those people that Joel crashed the car into the thing and then, you know. Brian was said like in passing, like I caught that because that scene connected with me. And like, yeah. as they're escaping from that area to the other area, you hear in the background, like go, Oh man, they killed Brian or whatever. And I was like, Oh, his name's Brian. Okay, cool. Um, Brian does not count as a major character that then dies uh, so far. And uh, the doctor. Yep. Yeah, don't get me wrong, Dave. People die <laughs> in this episode, um, but no major character that we meet uh, died in this episode. I, I like this episode. It's hard to hold it up against episode three, but I think this episode is important. And I think it is a turning point for the dangers of man, you know, of humanity air quote. And I think it's also interesting to observe to, to set up an idea of are Joel and Ellie good? You know, like we've, we've heard Fedra bad. Okay. So Joel and Ellie are anti-Fedra. Good. Joel and Ellie. Good. We've heard humanity can be bad raiders and all this stuff. And, you know, people that are going to do worse things to you than rob you in the middle of the night. Um, but then we've learned Bill Frank. Good. And now we've seen the city that is no longer Fedra, which was bad. And is now this other group, which is maybe just doing what it needs to do to survive. Yeah. yeah. I.e. the same thing Joel had done in the past, he says. So I think it's setting up this really nice moral gray area for our characters to have to navigate that I think, I hope will pay off um, as we spend time with them because so far it's been like, oh, they're bad, they're good. And maybe Kathleen's good, you know, (laughs) like... She, she's not the ruthless cigar chomping villain again. So I, I, I like <laughs> that. But the impression was you, that you got was that she might be right from this. Episode, right? Yes. We don't know. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. she's scary. Uh, <laughs> but so is Joel. Joel's killed a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. You know, so. Uh, this is the first episode I've watched this season that I thought was fine. It was fine. You know, um, there was a nice, the shootout sequence was pretty well done. Um, I thought it was like, staged really well uh geography wise that's like a really like if you look at the physical geography of the sequence he like crashes that car into the thing and it's like it's positioned at the exact right angle where they would be protected by the car i thought that was really like nicely done you know as an action scene um but yeah this is very much a transitional episode it's setting up this other arc with these uh these people that find joel and ellie probably um it's setting up this arc with Kathleen with this stuff that's underground. Like who knows what any of that's about. Um, so. And these two characters we end the episode with, right? We've, yeah. we've met a lot of people and haven't learned tons about them yet. Yeah. Our crew yeah. has gotten bigger. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so re- really transitional episode. And also like um, uh, another episode that like episode two felt very video gamey to me, I have to say. Uh, because there's multiple instances in this episode where it's like, hey, Ellie, can you go around the th- corner and like unlock this door for me? Which is um, something that happens in the game, something that happens in episode two, I think. Um, something that happens several times in this episode. And then, you know, um, the shootout plays out very similarly to how it does in the game as well. So it it kind of felt like, you know, what I, what I was hoping for when we watched the show is something like the, the game is a really well-told story, but it's basically like, some really nice tender moments between the the main characters and then action set pieces. And it's like, if you're just going to do the action set pieces, you need to do them really, really, really well. Um, because I, I don't think it's like, it, it doesn't justify the adaptation to have like decent versions of the action set pieces from the games because we already get those from the games. And honestly, they're probably better in the games because we can play them, you know? <laughs> um, and so it's like, if you just have like a video version of it that you can't play, um, then it needs, just needs to be really, really well executed. This was a well executed action sequence. You know, it's certainly it's not bad in any way, um, but it's just it was just like it's it's solid. You know, it's fine. Um, and then like the part about like hey, unlock the door, move the desk, da 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 da. It, it all felt very video gamey in a way that I found to be distracting personally. And then just the overall plot is kind of like oh, this is um, we're just kind of setting the table for what's to come. I think so. I thought it was fine. Not a bad episode at all, but probably my least favorite out of the ones that we've watched so far you know i I think Um, it's a necessary episode um and i don't disagree that it i'd call it an air quote filler episode but i think a lot of subtle stuff is happening with joel and ellie here yeah yeah. and and seeing joel become that person to ellie that bill says he should be in the letter even though the letter was about tess and seeing his armor come down the episode starts with him calling her cargo again yeah and ends with him giggling uncontrollably at a mm-hmm. dumb pun, you know, and he's like, I've, I forget. He's like, I I've lost my mind or whatever he says. And yeah. I think that, 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 that Pedro giggle is up there with the Nick giggle. Nick uh, Offerman giggle from last yeah, week. The yeah. The Nick Offerman giggle from last. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it, it is, it is out of character for Joel, the human. It's like, you know, when you as a person do something out of care, like, Oh, I get, ee! like, why, why did I react that way to a spider? I don't care about, but you know, you, in that you break and it feels like Joel breaking um and breaking down and and bringing this young woman closer to him than maybe he wants to and i think that stuff is important and when i think of a traditional filler episode i i think of some of the earlier netflix shows where it's like oh we got a 13 episode order our show's only seven episodes long <laughs> you know we got to fill the we got to pad these out and this didn't feel like that to me it, it felt mm-hmm. like it was still doing some some heavy lifting but at the same time, I agree. It wasn't, you know, as impactful as, as some of the prior episodes. Yeah, no, very good point as usual, Christian. I think it does do a lot of work uh, to develop the characters and get them to a place where presumably they need to go. So, yeah, it, it's a good Joel and Ellie relationship building episode in a way that like last episode wasn't really right um, because yeah. it was about other characters. So, yeah. Okay, well, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of Decoding TV. Again, you can always email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Um, find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at Decoding TV. Christian Spicer, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Until next week.
Website's a good spot, christianspicer.com, and if you like video games, you can listen to DLC, the video game podcast I do with Jeff Kanata. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. We just talked about the Dead Space remake. We're talking about, we talked about Hi-Fi Rush, which was a stealth launch game from Xbox um, that is awesome and very cartoony, Saturday morning vibes, very cool. You can hear about that and all the other games coming out uh, as we talk about them each and every week. All righty, folks. Uh, thank you so much for listening to uh, this episode of Decoding TV. Thanks to everyone who is a paid member at DecodingTV.com who's supporting this podcast and getting ad-free episodes and bonus episodes. Uh, although not one this week. We're going to save it all of our insights for next week's bonus episode. But until then, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week with another recap of The Last of Us. <laughs>